Plunger moves on in, and he scores! What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Pod Street Bullies. My name is Derek. And I am John. What's going on, everybody? And as always, we are joined by our magnificent, yes, I said magnificent, producer, Mr. Nat Marlowe. Oh, hello, everybody. We have a special episode <laughs> today for you. Oh, Nat, right away with the plugging, man. What what <laughs> has you so excited about this episode? Man, there's, there's never any shortage of news in the Philadelphia sports scene. And a lot of the news is buzzing out of the Philadelphia Flyers organization right now, and I can't wait to talk about it, boys. Let's just let's just say that. Hey, real quick oh, before man. we get into the uh, – I don't have a story today, but before we get into the Flyers stuff, I just have something to say to Nat. Thank God. I just have something to say to Nat really quick. Grind okay. city, bitch. Okay, congratulations. <laughs> the Grizzlies beat the Sixers without – Without Joel Embiid, Con- congratulations yeah. on the one win that the Grizzlies are going to get all season. Derek, doesn't he sound like the the kid in middle school that was every time they lost, were like, "Well, you know, my right shoe was kind of not on the right way this time." Just look, I'm not getting into this. I have no horse in this race because I'm just not that much of a basketball fan. So this is between you guys. Hash it out on your own time because this is a hockey podcast. Yeah, I mean, he's just sad because the diehard Grizzly fan over here just beat up on his Sixers. So, what up? All right, well, (laughs) after those shots have been fired, we're going to jump right into some hockey talk. Because, boys, whether you realize it or not, I don't know how the hell you wouldn't realize it, we had some hockey games of the regular season type or variety, if you may, that we can finally discuss for the first time this year. And, boy, were they awesome. We start the season out two games against Pittsburgh in a row, beat them twice, scores of 6-3 to three and 5-2. to two. How awesome is it to start out the season beating your division rival and, honestly, the team that not just all Flyers fans but most of fans all across the league just despise? I mean, it was beautiful. You know, the funny thing is I actually took more joy in realizing that the Penguins really aren't that good. This year, they're like a line deep offensively and defensively. They they kind of stink. That Dan Marino guy, they shouldn't assigned him to the extension that they did. Dan Marino, yeah, yeah, quarterback for the Pittsburgh Penguins, <laughs> <laughs> right? Quarterback for the Pittsburgh Penguins. What's his name? Jonathan John Marino. Jo- John, All right, whatever. John okay, I I know a better Marino, and his name's mm-hmm. Dan. But no, in all seriousness. You know, I think that I took away what I expected to in these first two games. It were, they were sloppy. You expected them to be sloppy. They hadn't played hockey in, you know, multiple fortnights. And um, they had really strong moments, I felt like, for the Flyers. And then there were moments where I was like, you know. But I think let's let's start with the positives. And the big positive for me that I want to talk about first is the power play. Cause, Absolutely. Because the power play, night one. Getting two goals the same exact way was a beautiful thing. Eric Gustafson V2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just perfect. It was Farabee taking the puck in a little bit, kicking it back to Gustafson, firing a shot, somebody in front of the net, goal. I think I just feel like if they can continue to work that and make it successful, which you find that found that the second night 
Pittsburgh had a response for it. Um, but if you can generate that every other game, you know, you're going to get the most out of guys like Gustafson, guys like JVR. And you'll get multiple point nights, multi, multiple point nights from uh, Farabee. Good stuff. I just think it's incredibly encouraging that they went three for nine over those two games. I mean, they're scoring at a 33.3% clip there. Um, you know, obviously it's only two games and nine opportunities, but good Lord, you know, Pittsburgh committed six penalties there in the second game. So they had their chances. And like you said, those first, uh, the first two goals from the first night were, were great. You love to see that because so many people were like, why'd we sign Gustafson if we have Gustafson? It's like, well, that could be why we signed Gustafson because look at the, just the vision, being able to put that puck on net, having the guys in front of the net to tip that in with JVR and Nolan Patrick. Nice to see him get on the board. Yep. You know, it's, it's a definite positive. I mean, how you can argue, yeah, defense. His defense is terrible. Well, it is. Defensemen these days, their defense is terrible. But it, <laughs> it was, it was, it was pretty terrible, though. It was. No, I, I'm not going to argue with you there. It's just you know, this is. There's reasons other than defense why defensemen get signed. Well, exactly. Whether right or wrong. Yeah. Right. That's not why he was brought onto this team. He wasn't brought on this team because of his defensive prowess. You know. But what I'm no. interested to see too is. Are they going to be able to kind of change things up on the power play? Because you're seeing what's working, but I also think, and again, I've already said this, but like Pittsburgh was kind of able to shut that down the second game once they realized, okay, this is the rabbit that the Flyers are going to continue to pull out of their hat on the power play. Um, so I'm wondering what it can, what else it can look like, because that is great until teams start to defend it. I mean, they've got the personnel for it. We've talked so many times about how deep this team is, how many players they can score, you know, how many people can get on the board every night. There's no shortage of options, in my opinion. Even guys like Raffle and Lawton, and you know, again, in my opinion, could potentially plug in on those power play units. You know, it's not ideal, but at the right. same rate, they're good enough and could suffice to the point where they could contribute positively to a power play unit. Right. I like that. I got a question for you. You know. Does it bother you at all that Provorov isn't on PP1? No, I, I don't care. Next question. All right. No, I'm of the <laughs> same light. I just feel like people expect your top defenseman to always be like the PP1 quarterback too. And that's just not the case. I think the Flyers have a luxury of knowing like, hey, you actually have somebody else who can kind of take a little bit of the workload off of Provorov in certain situations because he – gobbles up so many minutes in other situations you stole the words right out of my mouth the guy averages 25 minutes a night you know and that's you know any time that you can spare for him to be able to sit him on the bench and let him recoup is is good right you know because you want him for those situations where it's coming down to the wire it's a one goal game or it's a tie game that's the situations that if you need to save somebody for that's the person you save it for and by giving him that time off it can only help. You got fresh legs out there. Oh, what about you, Nat? Are you encouraged by the fact that we have more defensemen now that are capable in the power play? Absolutely, yeah. Especially because you have guys that are able to quarterback the power play more. I don't know what Michelle Terrian did over the summer, but you remember that pop-off I did about Terrian, how he somehow went from having a decent power play, and then there was no power play for the Flyers in the NHL bubble, and now suddenly they're generating something again. Now, one thing to me that 
it, yeah. that was exciting to me at first was that they did score the exact same way uh, for those first two power plays in that first Penguins game. I mean, literally the only difference was where the actual goal scorer was on the ice. James Aaron Reemsek was pretty much right up close in that blue paint and battle with Mike Matheson to get the puck past Tristan Jari. And then Nolan Patrick just skeets on over into the slot to deflect uh, to deflect the puck in the back of the net. But the setup, while the setup was great to see the exact same way, Farabee along the boards, right over to Eric Gustafson in the left point, it's alarming now because now teams are going to realize, oh, that's one of their go-to plays, at least for that power play unit. That's going to be one of their go-tos. They have film on them now. So to me, that's a little bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. So already you're running into a little bit of a double-edged sword where, yeah, that's a play that can work, but now teams are going to know how to defend it. But Nat, but Nat, if you're a good coach, right, you look at that and you go, okay, so now let's assume that they're not going to give Gustafson that space. Let's assume that when when Farabee carries that puck in, they're not going to follow him. They're going to stick with Gustafson. Now what's the play? Right? I mean, that's what the coach has to be doing. Like, okay, now let's assume that they've read this. They, they're they going to stick with Gustafson because you can't give him enough space to you know get a clear shot off. What are you going to do now? And that's when you start to see how good of a power play coach Terry and Ken actually be. Yeah. If we're going to get into it, though, I mean, you think about it, if they're going to check Gustafson that's going to free somebody up and you right. have that person drive the lane and they're wide open for a shot right so I mean it, in our minds obviously it's an easy fix but you think about it and the struggles that we witnessed with Terry and last year is it really going to be that easy of a fix to him because we saw it struggle we saw it thrive you know it struggled a little bit more than it was successful but at the same rate it's a new season it's encouraging to see that they're three for nine already on the power play Penalty kills looking okay, you know, not fantastic, but not terrible. Right. Um, anything else stand out on the good side of things uh, coming from these two games? Uh, yeah, actually, Travis Konechny. I love the fact that Travis Konechny's goals, only one of them went off his stick. <laughs> no, and, and I know it sounds funny, but seriously, like, that's the kind of player that he is, right? Somebody who just gets into the blue paint and just keeps on fighting and keeps on scrapping. And I think that's how he's going to get a lot of goals. So the fact that they've gone off skates or body parts, like, well, for a lot of the Flyers, I just find that to be encouraging because, you know, skill can only get you so far if you don't have that ambition and that continuous work ethic. And when you're just continuing to fight in those nasty areas, to me, that's what really stands out, and that's what makes you a champion. So to see, you know, Konechny get those kind of goals, to me, is is a good sign. Now, to you then, I pose this question I want to ask both of you. Is Travis Konechny the new Scott Hartnell? <laughs> in that sense, because, I mean, how many goals have we seen that haven't come off of Hartnell's stick, but were credited to him? Right. I mean, he's a tough guy. You know, Konechny's pretty tough. You can argue that. Right. Is this is he the type of player that fits that mold? Yeah. I mean, personality-wise, too. You know, I, I oh, think that's a, that's a great comparison, actually. And there's, there was just so much of that, too, right, Derek? I mean, how many of the Flyers' goals over the first two games actually were in result of a shot? <laughs> like, someone shot yeah. the puck <laughs> into the net. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like that really didn't happen. <laughs> but I, I'm okay with that. With goaltending being as good as it is as it is these days, you need to be able to kind of get those dirty garbage goals, and the Flyers got a handful of them. At the end of the day, a goal is a goal is a goal is a goal. Right. What do you think, Nat? You think that's a fair comparison, Connecty? No, I don't think that at all. Oh. Connecty doesn't have the size. Okay. So I was listening. Well, oh, yeah. Well, okay. Listen, listen, it's he is in terms of like the style of play. Yes, I love the fact that Travis Konecki is down in the blue paint, but it's also a concern for me because you're gonna get beat up in that area, and Konecki doesn't have the size to handle that. I mean, why does Wayne Simmons have so many power play goals? Is because he was able to fight in that dirty area, and he was able he had the size and the stature to maintain the type of damage that he was going to get in that area. That's why he was a power play specialist. I don't think Travis Connecticut could handle it. I was listening to Hockey Central at noon, and they were talking about uh, like how when you get in that zone, you're getting cross-checked left and right, and that's pretty much the one area of the ice where they don't call cross-checking penalties. And if you don't mm-hmm. want to get bullied, you're going to avoid that area. And to me... I was fine with James Van Riemsdyk doing because at least James Van Riemsdyk has the size to fight people off. But they were playing the Penguins. They don't have the defensemen like Ron Hainsey anymore. They don't They don't have Jamie Alexiak anymore. Their defensemen are not very big. So let's see what happens when they take on a team like the Washington Capitals and they have to worry about Zidane Chara. But Nat, I mean, and this is just me personally, right? I view... Konechny going into the paint almost as like it's a just a follow-up of his skating like I, I didn't really view it as like him posting up in that area you know and I agree with you like he can't do what JVR was doing but it, it's more of that he's just following through and he winds up in the blue paint after that initial shot or you know as the play continues and that's where he's successful so I don't think he's somebody who could post up in front of the goalie at all you know, but I do think that the, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but it's like the fact that he just kind of keeps going, right? He's going to do whatever he can to get that goal. That's what I like to see. He glides through in hopes that he could potentially set a screen, which makes sense. You know, right. they've already got two guys in front of the net on that one goal you saw with Patrick and JVR both trying to screen the goalie in an attempt to, you know, mask his uh, field of vision, which I think that system works great. Connect me again, like Nat was pointing out. Not the biggest guy. Right. He's not going to be more efficient than a guy like JVR at setting a screen just because of sheer body mass, you know. But at the same rate, having a floater, I guess you could call it, a guy that kind of maybe just drifts left to right in front of the net, you know, give it five, ten feet or whatever, right. couldn't help because again, anything to get in the line of vision for the goalie is a good thing because if you can distract him enough to get a shot off, that shot has a higher percentage of going in. Right. So, you know, we could go through the positives all day, honestly. I think there was a lot of positives to draw from both of these games. I think it's time to get to the things that we were discouraged by. If there was anything in particular that you were discouraged by, and I want to start with Nat here, what were you looking at and being upset with? And John's, well, John's upset now because I always go to him first, but, you know, diva. suck it up, Buttercup. Diva. I'm the diva. Nat's getting his time. <laughs> all right, Nat. Oh, boy. So, a couple things I was discouraged by, uh, the Flyers on the back end, and specifically in their own zone. Now they weren't. Uh, I don't. I don't. I'm hesitant to say this, but 
for lack of better words, they were kind of terrible. And fortunately, they have a tremendous goalie in Carter Hart. That's what they need. But, you know, if they were in a situation where it was Brian Elliott and Michael Neuverth, guess what? They're not winning those games. It, right. You get nothing but... Yeah. Yikes. You, you, it, that's, the reality, that's the reality of the situation. That's what it is. You're getting yeah. high-scoring games with no defense. And right. that's what it is. And because you have great goaltending, it gives the illusion that you have good defense. And because, I mean, the Penguins won that second period in the in the second game. It didn't translate into a goal form, but that was because of Carter Hart. I mean, the Flyers only got four shots on goal in that second period, and then defense was doing nothing. Carter Hart won them that game. To right. me, that is a yep. little bit of a problem on the back end. I mean, Chris Tarian said it. Like he, he said it yesterday. You know, it's they have to clean up some of the stuff in their own zone. But if they're able to do that, you know, you'll take two wins over the Penguins any day. And if they're able to make those improvements early on, as opposed to, you know, waiting 10, 20 games in to fix those to fix those problems, you can't have slow starts now because you're playing fewer games. And I mean, it, it goes into what the Sean Katuri injury as well, because he's going to be out a minimum of two weeks. That's 14% of the season. That's alarming, especially with right. how short the season is. Mm. So, yeah, just most most of the problems just clean up your uh, your on ice play in your own zone. I first I want to just piggyback off of what he said because I have two concerns, but one like really directly relates to his, and the that being okay. I feel like when I watch the Flyers play, in order for them to play good team defense, they almost turn into this like everlasting penalty kill where they just it's like a shell game where it's like all right the hey, turtle yeah. And it's that's what they need to do in order to be successful defensively, and then there's no offense being produced. Like I, I think I texted you at one point of one of the uh, Penguins games. I can't remember if it was the first one, Derek. And I was just like, I just feel like we're on an everlasting penalty kill because they just get into their own zone. They set into playing defense, but then when it comes to transitioning offensively, they don't have no clue. It's that what really bothers me the stretch pass crap like let's hope we so is is this the right time to say chuck fletcher in the chocolate factory and his everlasting penalty kill (laughs) yep i don't think there's ever a wrong time to say that but that That kind of goes into my second concern which i think is something that you share derek the need to be overly fancy with our passing as it, whether it's the stretch pass or the drop pass i mean even carter hart got caught into it and it turned into a sydney crosby goal like the, he's just like here that was fantastic by the way i mean that's what can you do there right i mean but like aside from just not play the puck <laughs> but to me right that carter hart play summed up what the flyers need to stop trying to do you know, systematically make your way into the offensive zone. Every once in a while, those fast break opportunities are going to happen, but stop just trying to create them with stretch passes because more often times than not, you're going to get it intercepted and it's going to turn into a high quality scoring chance on the other side. You, you see it happen with both of those types of plays though, with the stretch pass and with the drop pass. What teams do is they cheat. Yep. So they know you're on the power play. They know a drop pass is coming. Somebody's going to jump that drop pass, and it's going to end up in the back of the net. You see it with stretch passes. 
teams are going to anticipate that happening because it's happening all the damn time. Right. And when it happens all the time, they're going to figure out a way to jump that lane and they're going to snag it and it's going to go the other way. So you've got to mix it up. These drop passes need to be just completely dropped from the playbook, in my opinion. I think it's just it dates back to last year. It's ridiculous. It happens way too frequently. And then with these stretch passes, yeah. Every once in a while, you get a great breakout opportunity. You get a two-on-one, whatever it may be, even if it's just a one-on-one. But how how often does that realistically happen? Are, are you going to try to do that all the time in hopes that it happens more often? Or are you going to try to become more calculated in your approach to try to gain entry to the zone? Yeah, and historically, right. the Flyers have not been a great two-on-one team. No. No, they haven't. And I mean... Too many pass-first options. That was, I mean, yeah. Well, and that was the kryptonite in the playoffs, right? And I can remember specifically talking about it. It was just Mm -hmm. like, we shell game, stretch pass. Shell game, stretch pass. And it's just like, that's not going to work. But again, no. that came we're an open in, book at this point. That came at spurt, you know, in spurts. Like there were moments where that happened, and then they cleaned it up. And they, you know, the third period is still our period, which is fantastic. Um, I mean, overall, considering it's supposed to be a sloppy first two games, I think the Flyers played well. I think they showed their depth. I absolutely showed. Their oh depth. yeah. Um, you know, we might have even underestimated just how deep this team is. Well, that's what we do. You know, I think we're always on the negative yeah. side of things. Well, you call it negative. I call it being realistic. You know, uh, yeah. teach their own potato, potato. Realism is negative. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course it is. To the optimist, it is at right. least. Um, but no, I, I think, and I want to backtrack. I apologize, but a positive that I could. I'm draw sorry, from buddy. Games, I shouldn't have done that. No, 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 no. No worries. All right, um, I take it back then. You Screw see you. how? Sh- okay. Ah, not the first time I've heard that out of today. Your mouth, at least. Um, Today, yes. Well, no, second time today. But anyways, you see just how strong Carter Hart becomes as the game progresses. And I detailed it in an article um, when we first started the website. As the game goes on, Carter Hart will likely face more shots. It appeared at least in you know the research that I put into it. And he gets stronger as that game goes on. So it's nice to see like he can have a shaky first period give up two or three goals but then be able to collect himself and come back out right. and just completely shut the crease down i mean it's that's what you would love to see out of any young goaltender especially the guy that's supposed to break the streak of the ridiculous goalie carousel that is philadelphia I think what's nice too derek if you really think about it carter hart is turning into the best player on the ice for the flyers you know so nice. And that's what you need. I mean, again, and I think I've referenced this before, you look at those Rangers teams in the past when it was Henrik Lundqvist and everybody else. And if you look at our... And a who's who of who's that. Right. And <laughs> and if you look at our everybody else, right, I think that they're better than what the Rangers had in the everybody else category. Um, so it's, it's nice to see that on the most important position, you have your best player. Yeah. Now, if we're going to get to the probably biggest discouraging factor from these games. We're going to talk about the injury to Sean Couturier. Couturier was knocked out of the second game relatively early, and by relatively I mean like, what, his second shift yeah, in the game? Like first minute or something, um, right? Yeah. Uh, Jared McCann, the same guy that, I believe it was Jared McCann, correct? I don't know. Uh, let's go with it, because he just... I'm the guy who said Dan Marino... I'm the guy, the guy who said Dan Marino plays uh, <laughs> defense for the Penguins, so... That's you wrote true. it was Jim McCann, but, and I um, thought it was Tanev, so let's go with McCann. 
All right, let's go with McCann. McCann uh, threw an elbow at Sanheim, got fined $10,000. Good. Anyways, ended up costing Sean Couturier a minimum of two weeks here. He's out with a costachondral separation, and I probably butchered that pronunciation, but whatever. Sounds good to me. Cartilage in the ribs. Yeah, costachondral. Let's let's go with that. I might name it my um, next kid costachondral. Costachondral Gove? Uh, boy or girl. Cost- Costco for short. <laughs> boy or girl either. They yeah, get to choose you know, that, Matt. Anyway, yeah. let, no, anyway, so, keep going. Yeah, it's discouraging. Our number one center is out. But with that news comes news of Morgan Frost slotting into the lineup. And a lot of us threw around the idea like, okay, how are we going to reconfigure the centers? Are we going to put Hayes up at 1C? Are we going to bump Patrick to the 1C position? That's essentially been settled as Morgan Frost is entering the lineup as the 1C flanked by Oscar Lindblom and Travis Konechny. There's so many moving parts to this, and I feel like this discussion could go on for days. But I want to get your initial take on this, John. Are you excited that Frost is being put at 1C, or do you wish that they would have kind of eased him in and put him at maybe 2 or 3C, depending on where the other centers fall? I'm excited, but I'm excited for a different reason. I'm excited because Elaine Vigneault finally... Finally listen to what I said after all of our underwater basket weaving <laughs> times. And I kept going, Derek. Remember, I kept going, you don't need line one, line two, line three. You can divvy it up. He said, I view it as line 1A, line 1B, and line 1C. To me, that sounds like he's going to divvy up the playing time close to equally and see which line generates the most opportunities. So he's not looking at putting Morgan Frost on the first line. He's looking at putting his top three lines almost having first line potential, and let's roll with it. I think it's a perfect thing to do because you don't want to break up the chemistry between the other two lines. You know, you put him with other young players, and and it's weird to think that, like, possibly with them being younger, maybe they have a similar mentality towards the game little wrinkle in, in things because I would typically shy away from that. Wouldn't you go, you put Fort Frost with a bunch of veterans because he, he's younger, but maybe there's more chemistry to be had here because they're just closer in age. Um, I'm excited for it. We'll see how it goes. I, I'm not expecting him to score two goals in two nights or whatever he did the last time, but as long as he is able to generate scoring opportunities for the wingers around him, that'll make me happy. Now, what's your take on this, Nat? Are you excited that he's getting the opportunity to flash that potential as the, you know, quote-unquote top-line center? Or is this a bit too much for him this early on? When I first heard the news, I said it's way too much this early on. Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Vigneault must be taking crazy pills. But you know what? As we discussed with Sam Moran, this is crazy enough to work. So you know what? I'm on board with this. Now, the risk you're going to have with this line is that you're going to have absolutely no defense, but you can generate the most offense in the world. So you know what? Let's do it. I love it. Balance. How about you, Derek? Yeah, what do you think, think, buddy? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, see, people got to um, ask Derek much, once in a while. You know, check in on me every now and then. <laughs> ask me how I'm feeling. Um, but no, much to your point, John, I want to point out the chemistry. You want to talk about how the line of, what is it, Hayes, Giroux, and who the Farabee. Yep. That line has an immense amount of chemistry. And I think the Nolan Patrick, Jake Voracek, JVR line also has a lot of chemistry as well. So right here, this move says, 
in Vino's mind, he doesn't want to break that chemistry up because it's working. Right. And someone pointed out to me as well, at five versus five, Nolan Patrick's line with JVR and Voracek has been borderline dominant. So right then and there should tell you that line should take some of the priority as well. But then you get to a line like Farabee, Hayes, Giroux. They're playing extremely well also. Right. So where would Frost ideally fit? The only line that would suffer now is the top line with Frost and uh, and Lindblom and Konechny. You know? But at the same rate, I'm not even going to say the word suffer because you're adding a guy who I feel like I could be wrong here might be more of a playmaker as opposed to Couturier. Um, again, you know, no slight by any means on Couturier no. because he's a phenomenal player. We obviously know that. But you're giving a guy a chance with top-tier players on this team. So if he doesn't succeed with these types of players, it's going to be kind of telling. So there is a little bit of risk to it. But at the same rate, you saw what he did last year when he was on a line with Giroux, and I, uh, it... Um, slips my mind who else was on that line with him, but he had some talent surrounding him last year. So we all know how he did early on, and then it kind of petered off a little bit. Why not give him this opportunity this time around as well? Because if he's gotten better since last year, everybody said he had a great training camp, this is worth a shot. And if it's not, the first game, it just completely falls on his face, you switch things up. You know, I feel like no harm, no foul, especially against a team like the Sabres. Right. Well, and you know what? You look at injuries, right? And especially to your star players like Couturier, and regardless, they are going to disrupt things. But they can become more disruptive if you just decide to blow up everything else in response to that injury. And I really like the approach that Vino is taking where he's like, you know what? I'm not going to make it seem like we're running to the hills. Go ahead, Q Iron Raiden. Run to the hills. Uh, I want to keep going, but I'm going to stop. You know, he he's not he, he's not going to blow everything else up and be like, I don't trust what we have here just because Couturier is gone. He's just saying, okay, let's plug him in where Couturier was and we'll go with it because I have all the faith in everybody else that we're still going to be fine. So I think it's a very smart response. And then if it doesn't work, adjust accordingly. If your belt on your car is squeaky and you need a new belt, you're not going to take the engine apart. You know, I mean, it's unless the same you, premise here. Unless you go to Bridgestone or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They're going to be calling us here in that's a second. Like, that, that's like an inside that. joke that I realized that is. no one else knows, but whatever. <laughs> we get it. That's all that matters. But anyways, no, it, it's a great opportunity for Morgan Frost. We hate to see the fact that it took an injury to Couturier for this to happen. Uh, but hopefully we can get Couturier back. And if anything, if Frost comes out and plays really well, maybe there's a shakeup in the bottom six. Maybe, you know, he even cements his spot in the top six. Who knows? Right. It depends and hinges on how he does. Right. I hope that that's a topic of conversation for two, three podcasts down the line. Like, where do we yeah, absolutely. Where do we need to put Frost now because he's playing too well to get rid of him? Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation, Nat? I couldn't have said it any better myself. But, yeah, um, let's see how they do against the Sabres with that line. If there's any time to do it, it's now. Because would you guys say, like, outside of the Penguins, they're probably the weakest team in the division overall still? Between them and Jersey, sure. Oh, yeah, don't forget about New Jersey. <laughs> how could you forget about New Jersey? Even though they had a nice win <laughs> against the uh, Bruins yesterday. I saw that, man. That overtime goal just snuck in before uh, – 
before the period ended. Yeah, that overtime goal, the <laughs> impressive part of that overtime goal was the guy calling it. So I don't know mm-hmm. what – you probably don't get the same broadcast I do, but I had the MS. I was watching Nesson. Oh, uh, see, no. Network. I had the MSG one because I'm in New York. Uh, okay. And, you know, New Jersey is like an extension in New York. Um, it's like the ugly redheaded stepchild. I call it our armpit. But anyway <laughs> – um, <laughs> Valid. That's not nice. All the people who listen to us in Jersey love you. Anyway, this guy, I don't remember the, the name of the player that scored the goal, but he was so excited. He said his name like 5,300 times. It was crazy to see. I'm like, well, he definitely snorted Coke before the broadcast because what in the world is happening? I saw I saw uh, Kyle from High and Wide Radio tweeted out, and New Jersey scores, and this is the guy that scored, and it's a gif of the uh, the lady from Dodgeball, <laughs> the, the Russian right. lady, died absolutely dead. That was hilarious. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Sharon yeah. Govich. So, Sharon Govich. Yeah, he was Sharon Govich! Sharon Govich! Sharon Govich! He's so Govich. excited. Yeah, it sounds, and oh. Sharon Govich to me sounds like a female tennis player. Sharon Govich, right? Sharapova. Ah, there you go. No, that was Annika. Hey, you know what I'm talking about? Might be. What was I her name? About. I can see Yeah, it. what was Maria her name? Maria Sharapova? Um, that, Maria Sharapova. The, the good-looking one. I don't remember. What was her name? Dude, I'm not, An- no, it was I Annika something, wasn't it? We're not a tennis podcast. Sorenstam? No, I, I don't know. No, Soren, that was a golfer. I don't know. I, I, this is a hockey podcast. Let's get back on track here. Oh. <laughs> um. One more rumor to address real quick before we get to uh, what everybody really is waiting for here. We've got some rumors coming out of Florida where everybody's talking about Keith Yandel, the defenseman, the longtime defenseman with the longest Ironman streak out there, which is still intact. Apparently, Quenville had a change of heart. Good for him. He does have a heart, after all, but he's still not the Flyers coach. Um, so, the you know how Flyers Twitter is. We're ending up like the Eagles right now, where if anybody becomes available, it's, oh, we need this guy. We can have oh, this guy. Derek, to be fair, it's him. been like that. Yeah, but to be fair, though, it, buddy, it like somebody with of notoriety, I think, what was his name? Andy Strickland of The Athletic? I might be wrong of where he's associated. Okay. I'm pretty sure that he's the one he that said Boston. Boston. Yeah. So it wasn't just yeah. Flyers Twitter. You're right, but you, they know they can play us like a fiddle. You know, it gets us in a tiz, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, Keith Yandel!" And you've got the guys who are like, "No, f Keith Yandel," and the other guys that are like, "Oh my God, bring him to me!" You know, six one zero. I fall. Yeah, I'm like, oh God, can we stop with this crazy crap? Um, but no, I, you know what's <laughs> what's there to make of this? Is it worth? We know the defense is struggling, but it's only been two games. Right. We know the type of player Keith Yandel is. Is this a fix? Is this guy going to immediately make us better? Is it worth it with that six, what, six and a quarter million dollars a year? I'm looking at it right now. Uh, 6350000 I don't know how to say that. Okay, so six just point, over six and what a quarter. Would that be $6.35 that? There you go, Einstein. There it is. Okay. <laughs> anyway, you know what? Short term, it might help us except he's not much of a defensive guy it's like we would have Gustafson Yandel and Gossespierre unless we could somehow get Gossespierre gone and they're essentially the same player um but the cap hit is just what's crazy I mean in an article that our 
fellow Pod Street bully Eamon wrote. You know, he he says that a move like this would be could be catastrophic, and I actually 100% agree with him. You know, if you look at this long term, it could put us in a bind in something that we've been trying to get rid of these past few years. So, although he's a sexy name, he might provide some offense for us. It just it doesn't make sense big picture wise. Not to mention the fact that he has a no-movement clause, and he's on the books for next year and the year after. So with that no-movement clause and the expansion draft, you'd have to protect him, and that takes a spot away from a guy like Myers or Sandman. So immediately right there to me, that's a no. I'm not interested. A guy who's, what, he's 30, looking right now. 34, I think. 34 34 years old. He'll be, what, 37 by the time that contract expires? His best years are behind him. Right. I'm not interested. Thanks for coming. Thanks for playing. Go home. If he was a UFA after this year, different conversation. But it's just not worth it right sure. now. Yeah. What do you think, Nat? Do you echo that same sentiment? Yeah. And what sucks is that I am a Keith Yandel fanboy. I would love, dude, you know how much I would love to have the Barstool Boys Kevin Hayes and Keith Yandel on the same team. That would be amazing, man. I would love that, but logically, it makes no sense. I Even on a one-year deal, if he was UFA after that, I don't know. You, you can't bring Keith Yandel on this team. It makes no sense. Amon and John are right. You're, mm-hmm. It's going to be catastrophic to this team if they somehow bring Keith Yandel here. You just can't do it. You're going to ruin a good thing. And as much as I love Keith Yandel, I would totally buy a Flyers Keith Yandel jersey. But that doesn't mean I would like the move overall for the actual team. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, if this were something where cap wasn't an issue, sure, why not? The guy put up 40 points in 69 games last year. Like, he can still contribute at an age of 30. He's, How many he's games? only a year older than Giroux. How many? Uh, 69. Nice. 69 games. Nice. Right? Nice. Real nice. Um... <laughs> But, you know, contributing offensively when you're a defenseman and then coming to a team that has guys like Goss Despair, Sanheim even, Myers, guys, Gustafson. Right. Guys that already can contribute offensively on the blue line. Like, it's it's a, a rich, it's a luxury of riches or whatever that saying is. Something I don't want, right. essentially. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... We, we can put that to bed, yeah. right? No, that's a resounding no. Yeah, it, it, it's a fun thing to talk about. It gives us a little something extra, but no, that's not the move you make. No. The move we are going to make, though, is to get down to the hot topic of the week. We all know exactly what happened. We've seen it. We've researched it. We've looked into this and figured out the basis of everything that went down on Friday night. Folks, it was the press conference heard around the world. It was... Jake Voracek calling a certain reporter a weasel and then dropping some profanity to sum it all up. Quite frankly, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. But we want to talk about a broader picture here. Yep. Um, you know, we we all know what's going on here. We've done our research. We've looked at the tweets. We've looked at the articles by this individual. We've put our research into this and we've drawn our conclusions from our life experiences, what we do as people and what we do here at the website as well. I guess without rambling on any longer, John, what do you make of all the events that is that transpired Friday night after the uh, 
the win. So in my life, kind of how I I choose to be as a human being or how I expect people to be is how I also take journalism, right? You, you say what needs to be said, hopefully in a respectful manner. I, you know, I, sometimes it doesn't always come off that way. And whether you want to judge what this writer says is respectful, it's completely up to you. But you say what you want to say and understand that whoever you're saying it to is allowed to feel however they want to feel about it. So you write an article saying that somebody stinks on ice, this, that, the other thing, right? You're doing your job. There is somebody on the receiving end of that. And that person is allowed to be pissed off. And that person's allowed to respond. And I actually respect people more when they respond to it. So if I say something to Derek that he disagrees with, I would rather him right there be like, you know what, John? No. That's not how I see things. You know, you're being a insert, whatever you want right there. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I To me, that makes life a lot more genuine. You're allowed to do what you need to do with the understanding that that person is going to feel and respond a certain way, depending on how it makes them feel. And I think that's what you have right here. I'm not going to dissect whether or not what this guy wrote was right. It's not my job to do so. But at the same time, I fully respect Voracek for responding about it. Could he have done it in a little bit more of a private setting? Maybe. And that's probably the reason why he blew up, because he didn't do it in a private setting. And it kept building up and building up and building up until the point where you snap. But that's the name of this business. You write something, you say something understand that the people that that's about are going to respond in a manner and live with the consequences i i think that to add a little bit of context to this and what i probably should have said first off there was an article written by this individual um back in october of 2019 right. where he said quote Vorchek is an offensive genius a free spirit who channels his energy and creativity into scoring and setting up goals but he considers diligence in the defensive zone outside the scope of his role and above his pay grade. A rich attitude for a player who is scheduled to earn $8.25 million annually for the next five years. So right then and there, that, to me, I guess, any columnist can write something like that. You know, it's, it's fair to dissect someone's contract compared to their point output and say this guy might not deserve his contract. I've done it. We've all done it. Yep. You know, that's a fair assumption. To go on though and say something, you know, about the the press conference, we all know the press conference last year where it was observed by this individual and I'm sure more that Voracek was laughing during AV's press conference. Whether it was related to what AV said, right. And Av had been speaking about the uh, the leadership of the team. Whether that was related to it or not remains to be seen. Right. Apparently, people don't think it was related to it. But to publish that and really use that as the sticking point to that article, from what I understand, that I think is where you go wrong, because the point of that article is to call out the leadership, to not delve into something that happened off to the side that doesn't even concern you. Right. You're there for the press conference. You're there to hear what Vino is saying. You're not there to, you know, 
oh, well, this guy and that guy over there are talking about what they're going to do after the game tonight. Like, I don't care whether you're going to Pat's, Geno's, gyms. It doesn't matter. Right. Like, just I want to know what Vino is going to do to fix this team right now. And the thing is, Derek, too, you know, it's clear that this particular reporter has had it out for Jake Voracek since he started him. I mean, if you look at all of his content that has to do with Jake Voracek, he doesn't... I've got a list pulled up. Yeah, you know, he just doesn't like the guy. And I, I think we all fall into that trap, right? For me, it's Shane Gossespierre. I can't seem mm-hmm. to have a conversation about Shane Gossespierre that's positive, right? Anytime it, I want to... That's fair, though. Yeah, but anytime I want to talk about him, right, I'm painting him in a negative picture. Now, if we were... But that's with any team. You know, there's people that report on the Panthers, on right. the Kings, on the Wild, that have that one player where it's like, I'd rather him just not be on the team because he's a detriment. Right, but if we were ever given the opportunity to be in a position where we were asking questions at a press conference and he was reading my material and I went to ask Shane Gossespierre a question and he was like, you know what, screw you, you almost have to be like, all right, yeah, I get that. <laughs> Respect. Right. That, you know, I, I, like you said, I respect that. But we're talking also about a guy and this columnist that has repeatedly gone after Jake Voracek, whether it be on Twitter, in his articles. His Twitter account is riddled with, I'm not going to say insults, but for context here, if Jeroen Voracek are still the team's two best players two years from now, this franchise will be in utter despair. The Flyers need to fire Dave Haxtall, trade Jake Voracek, and bring back Jay Rosehill, my column. The Flyers are collapsing, and it's Jake Voracek's fault, my column. That's clearly, I shouldn't say clearly, but to me at least, there's some sort of agenda against Jake Voracek with this individual. And that right there to me, anything Jake Voracek said Friday night would be warranted in my eyes. Because this has been brewing up, because these tweets are from back in, it looks like 2016, some of them. Right. So... You know, kudos to Voracek for saying that. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you can dive into whether or not it was a professional time to do so. But also, Jake Voracek is being called out in articles over and over and over again for everybody to see. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so he has to have this level of respect for this gentleman who is publicly throwing his face in the mud over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the moment that Nat has been waiting for all show. So I'm going to sit here and shut my mouth until you are finished, Nat, because I want you – this will kind of lead into the pop-off because i got a few other uh, topics to discuss with you there because it's Nat's turn to pop off. But I would like to give you the floor now to give us your take on this matter. Okay. Let me preface this by saying – I have a lot to say about this, and this is coming from a guy who, in a matter of three years, went from being a fan with no connection to the media to being a fan who started talking about the team slash reporting on the team and then actually getting into the actual media. And when I not just media from just by reporting on the team, but media in viewing it from a fan's lens as well. And when I say the words consider your sources, really consider your sources, no matter if you're reading it 
listening to it, however you dissect media, always consider your source. Now, there's a difference between columnists and beat reporters. Now, beat reporters will generally just, you know, they have a beat. You know, you have Flyers beat reporters. You have Sixers beat reporters. You know, when it comes to the Flyers, generally a lot of people think of Sam Carcitti. When it comes to Sixers, people generally think of Keith Pompey. Those are two, for the most part, like we can debate this later on, but generally like well-respected reporters of their beats. Columnists, on the other hand, they cover everything to a degree. But because they cover everything, you're not necessarily getting the whole story because where columnists really differ from beat writers is that columnists they're meant to give their actual opinions it beat reporters you know they're not they might give their snippets here and there but they're generally reporting on the sport as opposed to giving their opinions on it you know they're not appearing on you know talking head shows and saying oh this is how i think it is this is what i think they should do no they'll just tell you how it is Unlike a columnist where it's going to be more so that, you know, talking head style, they'll give their opinion on it. Now, beat reporters I find more reliable because they're in and out. They're there every single day. They are there to actually report on the team for the most part. Now, sometimes you got to take things with a grain of salt. But when it comes to a columnist, you might have to take a pillar of salt. Because this columnist in question is not there every day he's not as far as i know he's not there every single game he doesn't write about this team every single day that's just not it's not his job to report on the flyers every single day he's a columnist he's not a beat reporter so let's just get that out of the way now when he wrote that the article in question the quote in question as well and he writes vorchak set there and laughed. Was it something the teammate seated to his right, James Aaron Reemsike, had said? Was it something else? You're almost creating a story that's not there. And I don't want to go as far as to say that he's committing libel against Jake Voracek or anything like that. But when it gets to the point where the columnist himself said that the Flyers PR team reached out to him and said, Hey, this is you know making the player potentially look bad. Can you, can you switch it up? And he apparently agreed to do so, and he switched it up. But now you bring up these tweets dating back to, what, 2016, where it's pretty much he's writing yeah. hit pieces left and right on Jake Voracek, and it, his agenda is pretty much Jake and Voracek, for at least from what you guys are saying. Then if I'm Jake Voracek, I would totally have a problem with it too. I would totally have a problem and even though I wouldn't do it in the in a public setting calling him out the way Voracek did I at least sympathize with Voracek I right. for the most part I respect him for doing it however on the flip side of that coin I think what Jake Voracek did was wrong <laughs> I'm more sympathetic toward Voracek than I am with this columnist but that doesn't mean I agree with what but he did and how he did it because what but why are we going to hold Jake Voracek to a higher standard? Because you see it. I mean, imagine you're in Jake Voracek's shoes. Yeah. I'm this columnist, and I'm continuously writing borderline slander yes. about you and how I think you're a detriment to this team. You don't belong on this team. 
like are are you gonna say oh i'm you know i'm level-headed i'm calm i'm gonna talk to this guy or or are you just gonna say you know what screw it everything he's put out has been in the public eye why can't i put something out in the public eye hey nat do you mind if i cut in for a second go right ahead all right so i view jake voracek's response is something that i've dealt with before in a different manner right so there was a time where a person that i was close with was dealing with some problems with another person that i was close with and that that's about as much as i'm going to get into who they actually are right and for the longest time i was just listening and kind of creating my own opinions about it never said anything about it never did anything about it until one day i hit my boiling point and somebody said something that really jarred me. And you know what I did? I punched him in the face. <laughs> I never said anything about it, but all of a sudden, bang, punch in the face. Because you know what? Humans, unfortunately, when we bottle things up, we react in ways that we're most likely going to regret in the future. And I regretted that wholeheartedly 10 minutes after I, you know, did what I did. To be fair, it didn't really hurt that much, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and that's that's the thing, right? I mean, Jake Voracek has probably been bottling this up over and over and over again, and then all of a sudden he's sitting there and goes, "Okay, this person's getting ready to ask a question." You can already see the change of his facial expression. He goes, "This one's for Jake," and he's just like. I can't, no, screw you. Like, no, how dare you ask me a question in this public forum, you know, and want me to respond. And then he all of a sudden has to try to compose himself. Believe it or not, most human beings are not going to be able to do that. He actually, he actually answered the question, like to his credit, he (laughs) answered the question that this this guy posed to him. Now, yeah, he prefaced it with the response that we all know and it rings in our heads. You know, doesn't matter what I say, fill in the blank. You're going to write, fill in the blank again every time. So it doesn't matter what you say. But then he goes, yeah, it feels different. I mean, we got four points out of these first two games. Uh, I wasn't even going to answer your next question because you're such a weasel. It's not even funny. Next question. So it was a sandwich. Like insult, answer, another insult. You know, you could argue maybe there's a better time and place for this, but to John's point here, when you bottle something up, you know, you sometimes don't know how it's going to come out. You know, I, I'm guilty of it. I, I bottle up my frustrations and there's times where I don't know what's going to tip it over. I don't know what I'm going to do when it tips over. Like, you know, younger days I'd get, you know, pissed off playing NHL. I'm, I'm <laughs> shutting the team out and then they score with three seconds left. So I throw the controller across the room. That's me releasing that anger. It, was it stupid? Of course, yeah. Could I have saved right. a ton of money by not doing that and having to buy a new controller every damn time? Absolutely. Still did it, you know? Do I think Voracek regrets what he did? Absolutely not. I think he thinks he could probably have done it in a better manner, but at the same rate, like I've said before, if this guy is going to write something that everybody out in the general public can potentially consume, why should Voracek not be able to respond in a manner in which those same people are going to be able to consume it the same way. I think it's fair that Voracek did what he did. You know, 
I just find it hard to blame Voracek in all of this because, yeah, sure, he could have pulled the guy inside a room and been like, listen, pal, I don't appreciate what you've been doing for the past, what is it, almost five years now. That's five years worth of frustrations, man. Imagine five years ago somebody did something and kept doing it all the time until now. How would you handle that? Well, give, give me some more time, please. Hear me out on this. Why You're on the why, clock. <laughs> screw you. <laughs> so here's... Why calm down, Voracek? Here's why I believe what he did was wrong, because you don't fight slander with slander. And what I mean by that is, most people, most Flyers fans, or at least me as a Flyers fan, I did not give a flying f- what this columnist ever wrote about the team, because until I actually got in the actual media. I've never even heard of this guy. I like I I never heard of him until I was in the actual media. And you know what? I never read an article of his until Jake Voracek blew this whole thing up. So what he did was that Voracek drew unnecessary attention to potentially slanderous comments that this certain columnist slanderous comments that Flyers fans in general probably never even would have heard about in the first place because it's written by a columnist as opposed to a beat reporter because I've never heard about these comments before I never would have thought about that and most Flyers fans I had to fans, Google who he was exactly to be honest with you exactly guilty you, yeah. see, you, you, you see what I mean and now because of this every Flyers fan knows who this individual is now and it's you John you heard it on NHL radio it's in the national media now spitting chiclets posted on their pockets that has like a million views now because of spitting chiclets because of let me tell you again I am sympathetic toward Jake Voracek and you know what dare I say I'm on his side I'm on his side more than anything because I would probably emotionally react the same way too. But, you know, what Jake Voracek did was give this guy a platform that was much bigger than it needed to be. Now everybody is reading this guy's articles. Now every Flyers fan is reading all this material. And every Flyers fan is, you know, forming their own opinion about it on, like, whose side they agree with. There's a, there's a couple of tweets that I screenshotted here. There are two reactions that perfectly encapsulate how Flyers fans are divided right now when it comes to this. Someone said, Voracek embarrassed himself and the organization on Friday night. Elaine Vigneault's so done with Jake and his routine, and I'm sure Chuck Fletcher is as well. Unfortunately, his contract and play makes him virtually impossible to move. First of all, are you in the team's locker room? How, how do you know that Elaine Vigneault is so done with Jake Voracek and Chuck Fletcher when... Flyers reporters that I've talked to haven't even been saying that. At least as far as I know, they haven't been saying that. And then you have it on the opposite end. So Jake should just shut up and play, am I right? Your opinion is trash and it blatantly ignores the fact that the reporter in question put out a hit piece on Jake's character. Jake didn't embarrass anyone but the trash reporter. Jake doesn't need him. He needs Jake, so don't get it twisted. The way I see it, I'm trying to view it from a lawyer's eyes, you know, growing up growing up with a lawyer I'm, I do that all the time F you dad um, but yeah you could I would not be I don't want to insinuate anything between the two in fact you know I've I want to be cautious I don't want to give the two any ideas but you there are in from both sides you could argue that one defamed the other 
You can yeah. say Voracek defamed the columnist, and you can say the columnist defamed Voracek. The columnist might have a better case because Voracek made this on a bigger platform. And what gains more attention? Columns or NBC Sports Philadelphia and Spitting Chicklets and national televised media? But Voracek has the money to pay for a better legal team. So right. that's just the way that I view it. Nobody, it's funny, though, because the, the $8.25 million that he brings up into question about how he's making too much money is what's going to end up being the hush money that keeps him quiet. <laughs> yeah, and nobody, <laughs> nobody is in the right here. I mean, right. I mean, nobody, I mean, the, Jake Voracek yeah. and this columnist, they're not in the right. And it's just, I've said it before, you don't mm-hmm. fight slander with more slander. And it's like, well, I can respect Voracek. You know, sticking up for himself. That's how, like, that's how you fight slander by sticking up for yourself. But you don't do it in the public setting, and not, and not like that. You don't call someone who's slandering you an effing weasel because you're just bringing more unnecessary attention in that, and you're dividing the fan base. How I relate to this is that, like, back in elementary school, I had somebody writing stuff on the the bathroom walls about me. So one time during the talent show, I told, you know, the people in charge, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go do this, and they're like, okay. So instead of doing that, I got on the microphone and said. Tommy's a dick. And then I walked off the stage. I'm just kidding. I didn't actually do that. I didn't have the balls to do that back then. But no, to your point, it's it's tough to hold... It's tough to blame either of them. Right. But at the same rate, again, for the, I think the third or fourth time, Voracek had this bottled up because this guy just did nothing but put out hit pieces like you were saying that. So, listen know, again, Team Voracek here. Listen... A wise man once said, and that wise man's name is 50 Cent, you shouldn't throw stones unless you live in a, if you live in a glass house. And if you've got a glass jaw, you better watch your mouth, because I'll break your face. I, on that note, I'm done talking. <laughs> that's, that's it for me, pals. That's it for me. Go against me, good. dog. You're making a mistake. I think, it's, Yo, I, think it's, I just man, I, I'm in all. Yes, that was a solid wrap up to that segment. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, well, hey, hey, I mean, Nat, it, has your boy you been watching? Need to pop uh, off at all tonight? I, has my boy been watching what Moana yet? Every kid these <laughs> oh, God, days no. goes into a Moana stage. You still have the Disney nah, Plus thing, will, right? Sure. You st- we do. Yeah, Moana. You got to start doing that one with him. I'm going to. No, I'm not going to give that to him until he's. Nope. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, man, it's I'm it's great that stuff. As much as I can. The Rock goes. <laughs> if you write on wood with a bird, it's called tweeting. <laughs> oh, classic. Oh, All right. We have reached the point in this episode where there's nothing more of substance we can dissect. Folks, <laughs> you're, you're, that was your pop-off, Nat. Are you all right with that? Should we save Absolutely, your official yes. pop-off till next week? That was, yeah, that was, uh, okay. I, that was good. That was therapeutic. I needed to get that out there. Analyze both sides of the, both sides of the equation here. That's the whole point of the pop-off, my friend. So without further ado, John, I need you to tell the fine folks listening where they're going to be able to find this brilliant trio on the Pod Street Bullies. So you can find us on all of your podcast listening receptacles, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, this is the one that Stitcher. 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 There you go, pal. 
Anchor. It's always that one and the other one that starts with an S. Anchor, yep. Google Podcast, uh, Radio Public, my people over there. And then, then just Google us if you want to look at it. Some kinky sh**. Just Google us on another one. Um, gonna have to. Add. Everyone's used their one for the week except for me. Like unless you consider me calling Tommy a, you know what, a phallic goal, a phallic I've, I've cursed twice. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Well. Uh, thanks for using mine up. Blame it on Blame it on I couldn't use what I really wanted to say there because you guys already used up my one for the episode. So thanks a lot for that. I appreciate it. You're Matt, welcome. Where they where can they find you? Good God. Uh, before before I go into that, you want me to censor flying fuck? <laughs> yes. You're going to have to censor Twice. that as well, so yes. Twice. <laughs> and maybe bitch, too. I'm all out of I can't use them. I can't use any of mine for the next, like, three weeks now. Thanks a lot, Probably guys. should censor bitch, suck. too. I'll just, no, I'll just edit it out. Yeah. I'll just edit it out. So it's like, all right. we're all censored. You guys are like, ass- I had to get that out there. All right, so you can find me at Nat underscore Marlowe on Twitter. Uh, I'm the producer of Pod Street Bullies, the Sixers podcast, Full Court 76. And I'm a producer at uh, 97.5 The Fanatic, and you can catch us broadcasting the Flyers hockey games. And tomorrow night, it's going to be me and Tyler Zuli producing the Flyers-Sabers game. There you go. No free ads. Solid. Love it. You can find John on Twitter at PodStreetGove. You can find me on Twitter at PodStreetBob. You can find me PodStreetBullies on Twitter at PodSTBullies. PodSTBullies.com. Our shit's awesome. Censor that, fucker. <laughs> Until then, I'll leave you, oh as I've always left you, with a Let's Go Flyers. Bye now.